For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So after spending um, five long chapters in the book of Romans explaining the logic of salvation, the deep logic of it, that it's by faith and not by works, that it's by grace and not something that's earned, that baptism is a part of it, mortifying of the flesh, adoption as children, and sort of climbing to the very summit as we looked at last week, the very end of chapter 8 that talks about the great love of God. After climbing that theological mountain, when we turn into chapter 9, St. Paul then runs down the other side, giving words to his own mission to spread this gospel of Jesus. So he puts out this treatise on theology, and then Paul pivots and speaks from his pastor's heart. There was no pastor like St. Paul. And he reveals the way in which he himself sort of carries, the manner in which he carries this message of salvation. He says that he has a burning urgency, a fierce and painful longing for others to receive the message as well, to receive it in its fullness and in its purity. In particular, although Paul, you'll remember, was commissioned to be a specifically a missionary to the Gentiles, he reveals that he has a special burden for his kinsmen, those with Jewish blood in their veins. His words are that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish, strong words, unceasing anguish in his heart. Anguish over the fact that so many Jewish people had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They had rejected Paul's own preaching. Um, we see in the book of Acts uh, that Paul goes synagogue to synagogue to his Jewish brothers and city after city, they reject this message that he's presenting. But Paul's response to the rejection of his preaching of the gospel reveals the divine origin of his burden. His one object is the conversion of his brothers. Paul knows that it's not about him. He's so singularly focused on the reception of the message by other souls that he's somewhat self-oblivious. It's like, oh yeah, he got rejected. He doesn't hold a grudge of these towns that he got kicked out of. He just longs, he keeps longing for them to receive the message. It's actually not even about the message in the abstract. This is the great mistake of sort of book theology, as if it was just about the message. It really is about the reception of that message. That is where Paul's burning longing comes from. It's the cause of his anguish until it's accomplished. Note that um, underwriting this is a Christ-like valuing of every individual soul. Right? That it's not just the gospel isn't just sort of scattershot out there and well hopefully some folks receive it. It's at the level of the individual soul, each soul being of infinite worth because it cost uh, an infinite price to be ransomed. But even more than that, see how much love Paul has for his brothers, how desperately he desires their salvation when he says, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off, for Christ, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. It's important that he says, I think, could wish, not just I wish. He's not, as he's writing this letter, he's not trying to strike the bargain with his own soul. 
but he says that if somehow that bargain were presented, he would take it. That he would rather suffer an eternity in hell himself, that his brothers could be saved, right, than that they would reject the message. Um, that's an extraordinary love. Extraordinary. To be able to, to say, I would rather have infinite misery that they might be saved. And in that we see that Paul is really emulating his Lord and, and our Lord because, of course, Jesus actually took that wager, right? He actually suffered an infinity of misery. It didn't last for an infinity of time. But in bearing the sins for the whole world and in, and in losing right relationship with the Father, at least temporarily, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Giving up the privileges of knowing God, as it says in Galatians, actually becoming a curse for our sake so that we, his brothers, would be saved. Jesus then sets the extraordinary love, he sets the high standard for extraordinary love of Christian mission, Christian mission that Paul emulates. It's not enough to love the message, it's about the soul's who receive it. It's not enough also to preach, share the gospel, and, and then wash your hands. And here, I've been really convicted as I've been sitting, listening to Romans 9, uh, of times where I can think of a few friends where I sort of really longed for them to come to Christ, prayed for them, got a chance to share a little bit of my faith enough where they could really take interest if they wanted to, and they rejected it. And then to my shame, I sort of just washed my hands of the encounter. I, did, I stopped praying for them. I didn't have the love that St. Paul had, which when he, his message was rejected, he still burned with longing. If your message, your sharing of the gospel is rejected in the spheres that you have, in your friends and colleagues, wherever it may be, um, it's of course the natural mistake of the flesh to think that the rejection is about you. <laughs> I make this mistake. But Paul didn't. His eye was so on the prize, so fixed on his love for the Lord and his desire that other people would receive his message that he was self-oblivious in his longing for souls. I think that's the heart we should ask the Lord for, that he would give us, for our mission as believers. Paul actually proved his earnestness in this, that when um, after writing the letter to the Romans, he was later thrown in prison, and he writes the letter to the Philippians from his jail cell, like he's in shackles. And he's been imprisoned because the Jewish people who he loved the most had um, rejected his preaching and had him locked up. Even then, and um, when his opponents tried to commandeer his particular mission, taking advantage of the fact that he's in jail, Paul writes this, it's mind-blowing, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. He writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. But in every way, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. How much is he focused on, on other souls, on their reception of the gospel? Um, that he would be in prison, having his, you know, all these things happen. And he says, look, Christ is being preached. I don't care by who or by what, or for what motive. Thanks be to God that Christ is being preached. So deep was his love for others and his longing for their salvation. Of course, when Paul is writing in Romans 9, 
and he's thinking about God's people that he wishes to be saved, he has chiefly in view the Jews, the glorious people who... Um, he gives us actually a paradigm that should continue as to be our paradigm as Christians, that, there's, that Jewish people have the greater natural privilege before God, that they are the inheritors of the covenants, that the patriarchs are theirs, um, and that we, like Paul, should long for them to receive Jesus as the Messiah. So it's at the level of the letter, it's clearly establishing a way in which Christians should view Jews with a special honor and longing for their salvation. But in another way, we could look at Romans chapter 9 and see it as typifying right, God's people who in one degree or another are struggling with the Lord's call. Paul shows that the truly Christian response to seeing a brother struggling is longing, just longing that they would grip it more fully, longing that their lives would be transformed, longing that all would accept the life-changing implications of the gospel, because that's what it was about, the great struggle in those early days of the faith between the Jews who accepted Christ and the Jews who didn't, is that the Jews who didn't couldn't swallow the enormous um, trans, uh, amount of things it affected in their life by extension. So the main thing were all these Jewish identifiers of circumcision and the dietary laws and all these things that to a Jew were bread and butter identity. And Paul was saying, actually, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not anymore. I was like, what? Um, and so they were, the, the, the testing ground is always the implications of the gospel. Now, if you look at Christ on the cross, it's not intuitive that all of a sudden Jewish circumcision is not meaningful anymore. right? But that was what the Jews were, you know, when Paul was held up on trial, they're saying, he's telling us to abandon the customs of Moses. But Paul's longing, it wasn't about him, it was about his longing that others would see the fullness of the light of God's word. A longing that stemmed from his love. I mean, really, he was embodying the great commandment, loving others as well as loving God. It's a Christ-like longing, which he demonstrated on the cross. It's a Paul-like longing that he demonstrated from his prison cell. And it's a longing that we can ask the Lord to give us as we continue the mission of the church uh, in our quadrant. It's about other souls. Amen.